0: Hey there, and thank you for listening to the Live Oak Church Podcast. We thank you for joining us today. The sermon notes are available on a PDF file at www.liveoakji.org. Here is Pastor Sean. All right, we are finishing up the Book of James. This is our 11th week. Uh, in the book of james and i've i 've enjoyed it i 've been challenged by it. I hope you have as well. Uh, if you missed any of it, all but about uh, one or two of the weeks uh, is online. You can listen back to uh, all of those uh, those sermons and kind of catch up and uh, that kind of thing but I, I, I hope that uh, that you've enjoyed it, but I tell you that today is the culmination. Today is really um, kind of what everything has been leading up for all of James. Um, if you're into the Avengers movies, you know this is the end game. Okay, this is this is it. This is um uh, th- this is kind of what it's all been leading up to. Uh, as you get to hear the heart of Pastor James, uh, the brother of Jesus. Uh, before I jump into the text, just want to let you know a little bit about what's coming next. Uh, Before we jump into uh, Luke and our Christmas and Advent season, uh, we're going to have three weeks called Thrive, okay? Um, I've been praying for for a while now. Um, What is next for Live Oak Church? Uh, as we enter into a new year, um, what, what are we going to do? What, what, what are some things? What is Live Oak Church going to look like for us? And uh, continuing on with the oak theme, if you were to take a, a section of a, uh, uh, if you were to t- cut down a tree or, or, or um, take a section of a tree, you look at a tree and, and you see the rings of a tree. Each of those rings represents a year. And so it makes me think what what did what did 2019 what does that ring represent and as we look back a year from now, what do we want 2020 to represent? And so if anything, as this is our first year coming to a close as Live Oak Church, I think I was telling the team the other day, uh, our theme, if I had one, would be to survive. You know, the fact that we're still here is a big deal, you know. And so so 2019 was really just about surviving and to getting through uh, this initial phase of planting a church. But I I don't want to do that anymore. We're here now. Not only we're here, as you look around and we're worshiping together and people are coming to the Lord, people are being baptized, people are joining. We're uh, helping those who are in need. We are here now. And so 2020 can't be just about surviving anymore. 2020 is about thriving. We're going to, I will long for us to make a difference on John's Island, to, to, to make sure that we make Jesus famous and loved on this island. And so as you can imagine, if you know me, we're going to break this open up into three weeks, love God, love people, live boldly. And so we're going to learn how, what is that going to look like in the year 2020? So I encourage you to please be here, to please be here and, um, uh, Caroline's very excited about that. So uh, here we go. All right. So let's jump into the text. James chapter 5, starting with verse 13. And I'm telling you, there's, you know, i want to try to be, you know, uh, to, to be brief today. And I'll, I'll be honest with you. I think I can be, because this is my notes right here, sermon notes. That's it. Alright, so yeah, I know, wow, you know, so, so unless I just, if I start doing this, you know, I'm just getting a little too much into it, and, and so who knows what's going to happen at that point. But um, we have some stuff at the end of the service that I want to do, and so I'm going to try to be brief, but we'll see what God does. Alright, here we go. Verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. That whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Okay, so this is the passage that we're going to work in as we close James. And as we started in chapter 1, we are finishing in chapter 5. We see, again, I say this over and over again, Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, was very orderly. Was very systematic in his thinking. And James is going to finish off just like he started, just kind of scattershot all over the place. He's like, as he's finishing his letter, he's like, oh, oh, yeah, by the way, one more thing. Oh, and one more thing. You know, those people, if you ever try to leave a conversation, oh, oh, one more thing. You know, I thought I was done. Doggone it, you know. And and, oh, oh, one more thing. And so that's kind of what James is doing here. But these one more things are, are very important. So as we start in verse 13, he says, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. It doesn't surprise me that he starts this section by saying, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. If you read through uh, the, the book of James, you have seen that this is a, a theme of his that he is very concerned about the suffering of his people. He's very concerned about the suffering of the people inside the church. James is the consummate pastor. A lot of times we see these guys, we see them as, as heroes of the faith as though they are and writers of these texts, of writers of these letters as though they are, but they are pastors. James was a church planter. He planted a church in Jerusalem and he was the pastor of this large church in Jerusalem. And so he was in the middle and he saw a lot of his people persecuted and he was trying to, to help them through that process. And so it doesn't surprise me that they started saying, listen, if any one of you are suffering, let them pray. And and, and I tell you, when I read that, 2,000 years later, it's easy for us to say that if you're suffering, then you should pray. How many times have you gone to someone and your life is falling apart, your marriage is a wreck, or your kids are, are, are going crazy? You, you know, you just lost your job and, and you tell someone, listen, my life is falling apart. I'm having a bad day, a bad month, a bad year, whatever. And they say, you know what, you should pray. How many of you, does that give you comfort? Not many of us. Not many of us. You know, if you come to me and, and I'm talking to you and I just need someone to, to, to love on me or to, to encourage me. And you say, you know what, you should pray. Now we know that. And we know that here, but a lot of times that doesn't that that doesn't soak in here. just pray about it uh, okay sometimes that doesn't give us solace, and so when James says, "If any of you is suffering, he should pray well we hear that, and so that that's what happens when we read the Bible too loosely, we just gloss over that because oh well, yeah, that's what you're supposed to do. Well, internalize that for a minute. Is that what you do when you are suffering? Is your first reaction to pray? We know as Christians that's what we should do, but is that what we do? Is that how we respond? When we're suffering, do we pray? And I think that some of us would say no. Honestly, the first thing we typically do is go to Facebook and gripe about it. Then we'll go to other people and gripe about it then we'll go to google and see if there's a way to fix it then at that point maybe then we get to prayer but what's what, the problem is we don't maybe we don't know how to pray or maybe we don't have faith enough to think that god cares about what we're praying for but james starts he says listen if any of you is suffering let him pray Is anyone cheerful, let him sing praise. I love love the duality of that, of James. Listen, if you're suffering, pray. If you're cheerful, sing praise. What I love about both of those is it's active. Both of those require something of you. Both of those means that, you're going, that people are going to see you doing something. And as the third part of our mission statement says, to live boldly, I want the people of Live Oak Church, if you're suffering, I want them to know that your answer to the suffering is to go to the only one that can do anything about it, and that's the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I want people to see you praying. And if you are cheerful, if things are going well, I want people to hear you singing. I want—I don't care if you can sing or not. And some of you can't, okay? And that's fine, and that's so okay. You know, it's fun. It's—it's it's, God says make a joyful noise, and I want you to sing loud and proud, not up here, but out there. I want you to sing. I want you to go. I just want you to sing with all the joy you have, because God is doing a great thing in your life. It's okay to be cheerful, and what I love about this is either way, whether you're praying and suffering or singing and cheer, either way, we need to be doing it outwardly. We need to we need people to see it. We need people to hear it. We need to be the church, and he goes on to say, "As anyone among you sick." Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Now, just a couple of things uh, as I posted this verse on Instagram of the church account. Um, Someone said, hey, do we have elders? It's a great question. No. Um, we will, we just don't yet. We're too new. Um, uh, you know, we're waiting, uh, well, not we, I'm waiting for God to raise up men in the church that I feel are ready to take through that process. Um, I'll go ahead and tell you that Barty is coming through the process. He'll be in the beginning of the year, I'll be taking him through that process, and he'll be uh, brought in as an elder of the church. Um, I'm praying for God to reveal who are those next men that God will lead to be our elder. And so how do we function as a church? Just very briefly, I have um, an outside board that I meet with. Uh, I take to them all major decisions of the church. They approve my budget. They approve my salary. They do all that kind of stuff. They take care of, they do the function of the elder. But basically the elders are the leaders, the pastors of the church. And so what the verse here is saying is let the, uh, if anyone among you is sick, let him call for the leaders of the church and let them pray over him. And by the way, when it says him, it's, uh, this is the general term. It doesn't mean that we only pray for people, guys. Um, so let him call the elders of the church and pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Now that may seem strange. And, you know, it's not done often enough in the church, but, um, uh, you know, what does that mean? This right here, it's anointing oil. I got it from Lifeway, you know, so it's not weird. I'm not some weird Pentecostal cult. It was from the Baptist bookstore, so it's it's official. Um, So, and and honestly, ironically, for those of us familiar with the Christmas story, this is actually frankincense and myrrh. That's what this is, this oil. And um, it's anointing oil. And um, what, what's the purpose of the oil? Because it, it smells amazing, by the way, but that, that's not really a reason for doing it. Um, oftentimes in the Old Testament, they simply used olive oil. Um, and most of us come out here smelling like a, you know, um, a, a, you know, caprese, caprese salad or whatever. But, um, um, but that's the, it's not the smell. Which is why we are anointed it 's typically an Old Testament thing. The idea of what does it represent it 's symbolic some people i 've read I read in some um, some commentaries that some people believe that the oil uh, actually was medicinal that it was, it actually helped um, particular ailments that 's true, but whenever it is referred to in the Old Testament when it comes to anointing or anointing your head with oil, it rarely was um, Uh, addressing anything of a medicinal um, uh, idea. Really, uh, most scholars believe that this is largely uh, symbolic. And so what does the oil... Um, symbolized in Well, if you've ever taken oil and you've ever placed oil anywhere, or if you've ever changed oil, or if you've ever um, accidentally knocked oil over somewhere, you know, if you had a thing of uh, uh, cooking oil in your kitchen and you knocked it over, it was very difficult to clean because it found every crack, every crevice, it found every little place it could seep into, and it was very difficult to clean up. If you've ever knocked over uh, some like motor oil on your driveway, it found every crack. It's very difficult to clean because it seeps into every pore. Much like the covering of God, it finds every crack, every pore, every crevice. It will find everything in you and it will cover and protect and soothe that part of you. And so when he says to have the elders come and anoint with oil, it, it is a symbol of the covering of God. And so when we pray for you and we lay hands and we anoint you with oil, it's the idea that God is covering you. He's going to find every crevice, every pore, every, everything in you and protect you. He says, "Let them call uh, if any one of you is sick, and he says, "And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up, and he is and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. I found this weird. I found this strange because um it seems when you begin talking in verse thirteen when you talk about w- when we think, if any of you are sick, come and be." Uh, healed. Most of us think of our ouches and our boo-boos. Most of us think of um, uh, uh, you know the colds and flu and and cancer and you know uh, uh, ailments, uh, bodily ailments that we have. And then he goes on and, and he kind of takes a little, uh, a bit of a right turn here, and he says, if you know. And if he has commanded, uh, committed sins, he will be forgiven. It's like, well, what does this have to do with just coming and having my sickness healed? And what I think there, it says, therefore, we'll go there. Don't jump into 16. What I think there is what James is referring to, and what I think is very important for us to acknowledge, is that there is sickness, both physical and spiritual. And both of them are equally Painful, and both of them are equally um, destructive. I, I think that many of us, if we, if we have had the flu, Or if you have been sick, if you have had a a, a sickness, an illness that maybe put you in the hospital or just put you down for a while. Most of us, especially men, we are the wimpiest people in the world. We're macho in everything until we get a cold. And then that's our kryptonite. We're just done, you know. I mean, women can have the flu while having a baby and, you know, working three jobs and they're fine. Men, we get a cold, we get the sniffles and we're done, just down for the count, you know, and that's fine. And so, it's one thing for us to come and to say, "Listen, I need healing because of uh, of a sickness or an ailment or a physical um, problem that we may have." But I'm telling you, the other parts, the the spiritual ailments, are just as destructive. To come before me, to come before an elder, and to say. I'm hurting. I'm hurting spiritually. I'm so far from God. And it's affecting every part of my life. I can't remember the last time I prayed. And when I pray, it's dry and meaningless. I'm far from God. And I think James recognizes that there are much more pain, much more sickness out there than just physical sickness. I think that there is spiritual sickness. I think there's emotional sickness. I think, and hear me say this right now, because I'm, uh, this is not normal in the church because I have sat right in that front row, right where Marty is. And I have sat there, someone who has struggled with depression, someone who has struggled with, with the blues, whatever you want to call it. And I've sat right there while a pastor stood right here and said, if you're a Christian, it's impossible to struggle with depression. If you're a Christian, you cannot struggle with mental illness. The two don't go together. And I felt alone and I felt wrong and I felt small and I felt attacked. And so hear me say from this pulpit that I know That people struggle emotionally And I know you can love God And struggle with depression That you can love God And struggle with mental illness I know that those things are there And so we as a church Have got to do a better job Of praying, yes For those who are struggling with cancer Yes, those who are struggling with illnesses We need to also, yes Pray for those who are struggling spiritually But yes, also pray for those Who are struggling emotionally and Because I know There are times you just want to get out of bed There are times you're just done, you're just spent. I get that. And so the sickness affects us physically, spiritually, and emotionally. And so he recognizes that there is a spiritual component, and because of that, there is a spiritual answer. And that is, one, if you have committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, there, how, okay, what does that mean? Therefore, confess, we're in verse 16 now, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you might be healed confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you might be healed this is uh, many of I know many of you grew up in the Catholic faith and this is the there's two things we know about Catholics those of us in the Protestant world those of us Southerners you know there's two things we know about Catholics we know the Pope and we know the confessional because we see that on TV all the time. We see the movies. OK, so well, I've never been in a confessional. Uh, um, you know, one time I was uh, visiting a church and I thought it would be cool. And then they were like, that's really disrespectful. Don't go in there because you think it's cool. And um, so I didn't do that. But we've seen it on movies where you go in the confessional and, and you confess to the pastor. And the idea is you confess and he gives you something to pray and you will be healed. That's roughly where this is coming from. Uh, you know, so I, I want to unpack this because it's important. It's often um, freaks us out, and it's often abused. And so I want us to dive into this verse uh, in particular, real quick. Um. So we need to to, to confess. Uh, so to whom do we confess? Um, this depends. Who should you confess to? Well, it, it all depends. It depends. Now, you can confess to me as your pastor if you, if you come and you say, "Listen, I, I need to talk to you, and I need to confess. I, I want you to confess to me because one, you trust me, and two, you think that I you know, believe that I can help you and put you in the right position. But don't confess to me simply because I am a, a, a preacher. Don't confess to me because you put me in some positional situation. No, you confess to someone because you believe that you can trust them and then secondly that they can help you get on the right path. And so who do you confess to? You confess to someone that you trust. You confess to someone that you value their wisdom. If someone struggles with a sin, the same sin that you struggle with, don't confess to them they're going to tell you, oh, it's fine, because it's not fine you know uh, you, if you you struggle with um alcohol addiction and you go to another alcohol addict uh, another alcoholic and you say, "Listen, you know, I messed up," and they'll go, "Oh man, we all messed up, it's all right <laughs> no, that's not good, okay, so you need to go to someone who whose wisdom you value and someone that you respect and someone who will place you on the right track so who do you con- to whom do you confess you confess to someone you trust and someone who can give you wisdom and place you on the righteous path what do you confess you confess sins you confess things that are keeping you from god you confess the things that are keeping you from holiness because all of us are sorry sapsuckers in need of grace, okay? We're all, we're all a mess. From here on down to every one of you. <coughs> we're all a mess. But we all need Jesus. And so we confess anything that keeps us from Jesus. We confess things that keep us from being holy. I, 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 don't, have, I'm not, I don't have everything together. But I want to. God's word commands us to be holy. Well, how do you do that? Well, it means we continue working on it, we continue fixing it, we continue getting better. Well, how do we do that? We have someone that we confess to. Uh, why do we confess? We confess, one, because it's cathartic, it, it, it's therapeutic. When it's weighing you down. Because you, you, you have committed a sin. You're, 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 you're holding on to this sin. And you're just holding on to it. And it's like a burden that just grows like a cancerous tumor. And it just continues to weigh you down. And until you can get rid of it, then it's just going to continue to hurt you and to weigh you down. Well, can't I just confess it to God? Absolutely. You should confess it to God. You should name it. You can't just say, Lord, take away my sins. You need to say, Lord, take away that sin, this sin, and you say it out loud, and you say, Lord, take that away. Here's the thing, and it is helpful to do that. But here's the thing it will help somewhat, but he already knows. You need to talk to someone. You need to confess to someone. And you need to confess to someone the sin that is weighing you down because you need someone that can help you take the next step. You need someone that can pray with you. You need someone that can pray for you. You need someone that can point you to some scripture to help you, help you out. You need someone to, that can be there to say, there's some people in my life that have the, pres- that, that have the right to put their finger in parts of my life. People on Facebook don't have the right to put their finger in my life and tell me what to do. I will break that thing off. Every, every person in this room does not have that right to put their finger in parts of my life. Just like everybody in this room doesn't have a right just to come to you. You know, not everybody gets to go to Dave and say, Dave, this part of your life is wrong. If I was David, I'd break that finger in half. Because I haven't earned, you haven't earned that. But there should be someone in your life that goes and says, hey, this is wrong. And I'll still get angry. And say, you can get angry at me, but I, am, I love you and I'm your friend and I'm telling you this is wrong. And I'm going to stay with you and I'm going to be with you until we get this right. That's what a confessional relationship is all about. So he continues on. It says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain. Now, why did he include this? Because I love what he said. Elijah, was a prophet of God. He was one of the heroes. He's one of the big ones, okay? If you look in the Old Testament, he's got one of the big books. He's one of the major prophets, okay? And so one of the major prophets, he prayed and said, it will not rain, and for three years and six months, it did not rain. And what James is saying is like, he was just a sorry sapsucker like all the rest of us. And when he prayed, Lord, don't let it rain. It did not rain. And then when he prayed again, Lord, may it rain, it rained. Now what's the point in putting that here? The point of putting that is that God answers prayer. And he said, listen, we as a church need to know that, yes, we're here together, we're here, but do not forsake the idea of prayer. Do not simply say, I'll pray for you in a way, because we do that in the South. I'll pray for you. That's a way to say, I'm done with this conversation, let's move on. Prayer has got to be more than that. Prayer has got to be something that is sacred, that when I say, I'm going to pray for you, I write it down, and I remember, I put a reminder on my phone. And when I pray for you, I'm praying. when you pray for rain, you bring an umbrella. That is the kind of prayer we need to be thinking about and then he finishes off, and he says, "Listen, just to finish off, my brothers, if anyone is wanders away from the truth and and someone brings them back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner was." From his wandering will save his soul. In other words, those who wander away are in trouble. And he's reminding them, listen, whoever brings a sinner back from his wandering will save his soul from death. And I think James put that there to remind us that we're the church and we're a family And when someone wanders, you bring them back. And when you bring them back, you're saving their soul. Because James, at his core, was a pastor. James 1, 2 through 4, counted all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and steadfastness have it, let it have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And then go on to 19 through 20. But my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul. You see, James knew from the beginning that there are going to be trials. James knew from the beginning that there are going to be persecutions. James knew from the beginning of his letter that life is hard and not all of us are going to make it. And some of us will come to the faith and some of us will experience trials with full joy and some of us will tap out and say, I'm done. And as they leave the church, he's saying, don't forsake your brothers, go out and get them. The theme throughout James is life is hard, and there's trials, but at the end of it, we have each other. At the end of it, there's the gospel of Jesus Christ, because James was there. James was there when Jesus hung on the cross. James was there. When he said it is finished James was there And so here we go Now 2,000 years later Still believing In the gospel of Jesus Christ Believing that we are all Sinners separated by God And that Jesus hung on the cross To pay our sin debt And when he rose That Easter morning He rose with the power to overcome sin, death, and hell. And so all of us who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's the gospel. So I'm going to pray here in a minute. And the band's going to um, play a song. And I'm just going to, we don't do this often. Um, But I, I was praying through this passage. And I was like, can, can I honestly preach this passage and not allow for a time, if you need prayer, to come get prayer. If you need prayer for healing, if you need physical healing to be able to come and get prayer, if you need spiritual healing to come and get prayer, if you need emotional healing to come and to get prayer. And so I just want you to have the freedom. If not just you can sit there and sing you can sit there and pray you can uh, sing along with the band or just come up and allow me uh, to pray for you let's pray lord i thank you for pastor james i thank you for the word that he just so passionately gives throughout his letter and I pray, God, that we would acknowledge that you love us, and that even though there are trials of many kinds, God, we can come to you. I still get—I still am blown away, Lord, at your word in the beginning of James, where it says we have trials that we're to count it all joy. Lord, I'm still struggling with that. When I'm still trying. But all the way at the end of chapter 5, Lord, I'm able to embrace it when I understand that when we are as a church, we're doing this together. And so when I have trials, when I have pain, when I'm hurting, Lord, I know that we're able to do this together. And in that mode, in that mindset, I can have joy knowing that we're all here together for you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to Live Oak Church Podcast. Please consider partnering with us or signing up for our newsletter by going to liveoakji.org. Have a great week, and remember to love God, love people, and live boldly.